I'm David Quinones, and this is Bird Road. Welcome back again to our new season. Um, as we do some house, housekeeping for the new season. Apparently, we have an Instagram. I didn't know about that. Uh, I asked all of you guys to follow it last week. I, I promise we'll start doing stuff on Instagram pretty soon. I, I said I would shout out the 100th person that signed up for our Instagram. So, at literally Richard Wolf, literally dot Richard dot Wolf. Thanks for signing up. You were the 100th person to sign up on our Instagram. Uh, again, I'm on Twitter at David underscore Quinones. Please follow the show. We're all over the place. Um, Dave, my co-host, who is not able to join us today, is also at Piecing Pod. You guys already know him. And based on his follower account, I'm pretty sure that uh, yeah, you're, you're already following him. So here in Miami, there is this entire world of Spanish language media that many of us, even those of us who speak Spanish, don't really follow. Sure, like every once in a while, it'll become a story, uh, like when the Miami Herald Spanish language paper was criticized last year for publishing an advertorial that spouted unhinged anti-Semitism. And of, of course, fake news and disinformation have become their own canards and they all get thrown around. And those words have been used so much that they almost cease to have meaning. But our guest today is Andrea Mercado, who is an activist and the executive director of Florida Rising, uh, co-author, along with the various activist groups in South Florida of the report No Mas, no Mas Lies, Disinformacion and White Supremacy, focusing on disinformation in Spanish media, specifically following the January 6th insurrection. You can find that report at nomasdisinfo.com. Nomasdisinfo.com is the website. Andrea, welcome to Bird Road. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, first of all, I'm sorry you had to do this. I'm, I, I, I don't know if it was you that was actually listening to hours and hours of, of this uh, of this kind of media, but I I have a very special place in my heart for you. A few many years ago, I um I did a similar thing when I was an editor at Fusion, where I had to listen to a week of Rush Limbaugh, and apparently he does like he did like four hour shows, which is un believable just mostly by himself and it was a real mind-numbing experience how, how how was it for you did you have to imbibe a lot of this uh a lot of this 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 media that we're going to be talking about yeah you know it, it is pretty traumatizing um i didn't do the initial listening session so um yes we all owe a big debt of gratitude um to the folks who actually listened to dozens of hours to find these clips. I have listened to the clips that are in the report. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> there's there, there's a lot in the report. Um, maybe before we jump into it, do you want to shout out some of those folks? Because there were so many groups that were uh, along, you know, along with Florida Rising that, that, that made it happen. I don't know who who kind of what played what role. Maybe you can help us understand like how and then we can kind of jump into the genesis of this. Um, yeah. Like who, who are the other folks and the other names that were involved in this? Yeah, so big shout out to Prospero Latino, um, to Jose and his team. Shout out to Latina Comunica, Natalia, and the folks at Latina Comunica. Um, the Miami Freedom Project, Ana Sofia. Um, and, uh, you know, I know she has her family listening in on these shows and reporting back to her. Um, on the regular and uh, yeah, I have to shout out my dad who does that sometimes for, for me um, and the Florida Rising team, um, Gina, Serena, Ivana and many others um, who have been um, on the front lines of advancing this work. Yeah, there are so many organizations that are devoted to this kind of sort of accountability or 
um, you know, just monitoring efforts, and it's all in English. And I guess that must have been a glaring need that you were aware of uh, on this, on in, in terms of Spanish language media for a long time. What was the genesis of this particular report? Um, can you talk us through sort of like how it came about and how this group of of, of organizations decided to tackle this, what I consider to be kind of a well-known secret. Like it's known that this kind of stuff is happening. We all know it. If you know, we might not listen to it every day, but we all kind of know what's going on on the AM dial usually. I don't want to like just paint the whole AM dial that way, but how did this come about? Look, I mean, I think in 2020, those of us that were doing work around this election, we knew that the stakes were high. Um, you know, Florida rising, we, we registered over 150,000 people to vote between 2018 and 2020. We had folks out there in the heat, in the sun, in the rain, um, doing that work to advance our democracy. And then you hear all of the mentiras and lies that they're um, spouting on Spanish language. It's surround sound. It's Spanish language radio, and then it's on the WhatsApp, and then it's on social media. Um, and it's a problem, especially when it's, you know, not just somebody's opinion, but they're like straight up lying um, and questioning the integrity of our elections. Um, and so we all heard it in November and were concerned. Um, but then around the time of the insurrection, it was just, um, I mean, that's when we really saw the, the damage that had been done, that so many people had listened to these conspiracies and these lies over and over again, that they actually took it upon themselves to um, go into the Capitol building, um, hurt people, kill people, you know, determined to stop um, and interrupt our democracy. Um, and uh, I think at that time we were really, you know, we heard some of the things that were being said on those programs and were horrified. But then you'd like talk to a reporter and they'd say, what did they say? And do you have it recorded? And do you have proof? Um, and so I think first we wrote a letter just expressing our concerns and, and you could see it up on the NOMAS um, disinfo.com uh, website, you know, over a hundred Latino leaders in Florida signed this letter calling out Spanish language um, media for, you know, what we were hearing and what was being reported to us. And then um, had a conversation with Prospero Latino and Latina Comunica, Miami Freedom Project and Florida Rising. And we came together and we were like, well, can we, can we document it? Can we actually um, listen to it. And I think it was Prospero Latino that said, yeah, there's a way that we can do that. And we can go back and listen to these shows and listen to what they were saying that week. Um, and so we said, it has to happen, you know? Um, and it's not just the radio show hosts, like it's, and it's not just the callers. Um, we actually have members of Congress that think that, you know, they can go on these shows in Spanish and say whatever, and they're not going to be held accountable or held yeah. to the same standards. And that, that's yeah. that's a really good point. And that actually is something I wanted to get into with you. These it, like, let's name it. It is what it is. Right. We have a, a number of Congress people down here, uh, G, all members of the GOP, all broadly considered to be in the center of that party or maybe towards a more um, you know moderate wing of that party. But they speak a lot differently in Spanish than they do in English. And I, I find that to be fascinating. I'm specifically talking about some some old whipping horses here on this show. Carlos Jimenez, Maria Elvira Salazar, and Mario Diaz-Bolart. Um, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Like, what is the, the difference between 
the sort of moderate image that those specifically those three um, those three Congress people present in English language media and then how they come across a little bit differently in Spanish. Yeah, I mean, this has been a problem for a long time in, in South Florida um, where people they do one thing, they vote one way in Tallahassee or in D.C., but then they um, come home and in their community, they're just, you know, waving la bandera and um, not, you know, trying to keep what they actually vote for um, a secret. Um, but, you know, I think as Trumpism hijacked the um, Republican Party and really unmasked um, a lot of the authoritarian and um, racism in the party, um, and made it more plain and more evident. You see people like um, Mario Diaz-Balart and, and uh, Maria Elvira Salazar uh, in, in January. So this isn't like in November, right around the time of the election. Like this is months later, um, saying things that they know are patently false. You know, <laughs> you have Maria Elvira Salazar saying that a congresswoman, a recently erected congresswoman, saying that in Pennsylvania, 200,000 more people voted than were were registered in the state of yeah. Pennsylvania, which is a, a total lie. Easily um, verifiable, too. Like. Yeah, easily. She, there's no way that she didn't know that that was just an untruth, you know, and all of, you know, all of the cases had been brought to the courts and had been thrown out by Republican appointed judges, by Democratic appointed judges. There was no truth to these claims. And yet you see, you know, members of Congress legitimizing um, conspiracy theories and things that we know have like no basis in reality or no basis in fact. Can you talk a little bit more about that's a great uh, segue into your methodology, which I found fascinating reading the paper. Um, you, you drew a line between misinformation and disinformation and then kind of attacked uh, all of these spurious claims through that lens. And I'm wondering, like, from the, the beginning of the report all the way up through when you started collecting this information, did that become necessary as you were compiling or was that a strategy you set out up front? And was any of it, I guess, surprising? Like, because I, I thought that it was a very... You know, kudos to you guys. I thought that it was a very fastidious way that you that you attacked it. Um, you outlined the difference between lies and just sort of innuendo and, and found that for the vast majority of what you were hearing, it was really lies that was being spread. Um, but I'll let you talk about that. Like, how, how did you decide on the methodology you used and, and you know, how, how, from what from whence does it come? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this has been a very live conversation um, in a lot of national spaces that are concerned around the rise of misinformation and disinformation. Um, oftentimes it's propagated by, you know, even people outside of our country. You know, there's a lot of reporting on how there's disinformation and misinformation that is being spread um, by people outside of the country that impacts our electoral process. Um, disinformation is really false false information that's created and shared deliberately to cause yeah. harm um, and to undermine our democracy. And so when they use, um, when, they, when they are purposely creating a false narrative that's not based in fact or reality, whereas, you know, misinformation, um, it's a term that's been around, I think, a lot longer. Um, and it was, you know, at, at first, I, I, I think it was, in, intended to really capture when there's false information that's shared by people and they don't realize that it's false, 
like you read an article and you're alarmed and so you share it and you don't know that it's actually not true, that it's a hoax or it's a conspiracy with no um, real factual basis. Um, and so we thought it was important to really look at what was being shared. Um, and again, important is the timeline, you know, especially when we're talking about the election that happened in November. And these are programs um, that are being, you know, aired in in January. Um, and so we categorized the disinformation and the misinformation that we were hearing. And then we kind of group it um, by... Um, you know, some different themes, uh, whether it's the election fraud that we were hearing over and over and over again, um, the Pennsylvania case that I referenced, um, you know, what they were saying specifically around um, the insurrection itself. Um, and then, you know, attack, you know, attacks on the movement for black lives, which we know yep. is, is all over the right wing narrative, the, the socialism messaging that we hear. Um, <laughs> over and over again, we've been hearing it, it really picked up in 2018 and um, amplified in, in 2020. Um, and, you know, and so I think we really group it. And when people go to the report, you can actually listen, you don't have to just read what they said, you can actually listen to the audio clips yourself. Yeah, I thought that was, by the way, incredibly useful. This stuff, AM radio, FM radio, if you're from the if you're if you're from the world of media, you know like how ephemeral that stuff can be. It's like it's said and it's gone. And unless you go back and are able to sort of hunt it down on these various stations, you know, really ad hoc websites, like you're it's it's gone to history. It's like it's out there, it did its job, and it's just evaporates. And I thought that that was great because if you navigate through this report, through the actual report, um, you can see all these uh, specific two, three, four minute clips that, you know, if you speak Spanish, you, I mean, you need to speak Spanish, obviously, but you can understand, uh, you can see these little moments in time. Um, I thought that was a great tool that, that, that you used. A lot of this stuff is personality driven. And I think a lot of the listeners of my show, actually, I know based on my demographics that a lot of the, the folks I'm on that listen to this show are familiar with the Tucker Carlson's We're familiar with the Ben Shapiro's who are some of the names and faces on this obviously much smaller, more like sort of targeted scale, when we talk about um, this handful of like real, I guess, power users in the world of of, of uh, disinformation, like who are some of the people that we're talking about? Mm -hmm. No, that's a great question. Um, so some of the repeat offenders um, from our point of view that are spreading, you know, not just um, values that we disagree with or political opinions that we disagree with, um, but are, you know, spreading lies um, are people like Agustin Acosta, who literally said he watched hours and hours of trials on the election fraud and that they had real witnesses, you know, so it's just, uh, you know, or saying that thousands of dead people voted, um, yeah. thousands of people who were not U.S. citizens voted. So Agustin Acosta is probably one of the more egregious repeat offenders um, you also see Nelson Rubio, um, who, you know, has a lot of, um, commentary on there. Um, Carines Moncada, um, is, uh, you know, known to share, um, many, uh, basically spreading the story that Black Lives Matter, um, 
was responsible for the insurrection and that there's yeah. facial recognition technology saying that Black Lives Matter protesters had um, incited the violence at the Capitol. I remember that one. I re- <laughs> that, that one that one made it to English. I, that one made it to English. Yeah, I mean, because it's too. just so, you know, it's like, it's it's so vile, you know, like yeah. uh, for them to attack um, the movement for Black Lives. And I mean, she's been on the attack. I mean, she called, didn't she say that they witchcraft? And I mean, she's done all kinds of vile attacks on the movement for Black Lives. You know, there's there's the far right, crazy town, QAnon, the, the most over the top, stuff and I, I wonder from your perspective and from those of you that mon- did this media monitoring project is there a there, there seems to be an echo of a lot of that stuff but it's not like a one for one it's it's like it has its own flavor it's been created in its own way and I'm just wondering like if the 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 added dimension of uh this aversion to socialism aversion to quote-unquote communism in Miami if it's driven a more unique type of 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 disinformation like if it's if it's uh its own organism separate from like what you hear in english language right-wing parlor or telegram stuff like that like is is it unique is it different and and if so how Well, there's a lot of similarities and that's one of the things that we found is there's a clearly a high level of coordination because you see them all saying the same things and almost repeating the same talking points um the same day so um there's clearly a high level of coordination and a lot of it does cross over from QAnon into some of these shows i mean there's there's a particular experience um in south florida where you have so many um families that have either fled dictatorships or they know people their neighbors have fled um you know, really hard political conditions in their countries of origin. And so they play into that, um, that fear, um, and that trauma, um, in a particular way. Um, so, I mean, that's why you see the attacks on Joe Biden being a socialist, you know, which I think is really laughable. Noted socialist (laughs) Joe Biden. Um, you know, I, so I, I think you'll see that kind of um, or a, a real overemphasis on, um, yeah, communism, socialism. Mm-hmm. You have um, Nelson Rubio and Rodrigo Duran actually saying the Pope is a communist. I mean, so it's, yeah. uh, you know, pretty, pretty out there. And then they use, you know, they really use people's lived experience, trauma and fear um, against them. You know, and, um, you know, it's one thing to have, like I said, I mean, I think it's one thing to have a different point of view. It's another thing to um, actually spread like outright lies um, to a community where um, for many folks, AM radio is actually how they get their news in South Florida. And there's not, it's not like you can, it's not like you're watching TV and you're watching Fox and you could change the channel and watch MSNBC or watch CNN. Like it's, there's not that many options on Spanish language radio um, in South Florida. And then, you know, as, as you know, um, they actually just kicked uh, Mayor Raul Martinez, who had a popular show with a more moderate viewpoint, um, 
they they sold the Caracol radio station and they one of the first things they did was kick his show off the air. Um, so we're seeing a consolidation of right wing um, Spanish language media in Miami right now. Yeah, which which kind of brings me to the question of like whether or not in your estimation this group um, are I guess there's really no artful way to ask this, but like, do you find them to be true believers of this kind of stuff or is this about ratings? I mean, I, I would say I do. I believe that they are real believers in their political ideology and in their worldview. Um, and I don't believe um, that they thought that these were true. I don't believe that they really believe that thousands of dead people voted or yeah. that um, thousands of um, non-citizens voted. I think that they chose to spread a malicious lie um, because that is the popular sentiment um, in amongst the base, in uh, their political base. and and. Trump's base, frankly. And I think that's where it's really, it's so disturbing because the, you know, many of these, um, many folks come from families that, that have experienced, um, you know, what can happen with a rise of authoritarianism or what, or, you know, there, there's like, I, I don't know, I think in Latino families in, in, around the country, but particularly here in South Florida, it's like there's a certain reverence for democracy because we've experienced other forms of um, of governments and have seen where that can lead. And um, so to, to watch these radio hosts undermine our democracy so completely um, and really like shake the foundations of you know, I have a lot of critiques of our democratic system and how it could be functioning better, but this was really an all-out assault on um, the fundamental kind of nature of our electoral just system. Just voting, just yeah, like the voting. concept of voting. The yeah. concept of voting and that your vote is, you know, going to be protected and is, is going to be valid. And yeah, it's just, and, and then to minimize what we saw happen in our nation's capital um, yeah. it's just, it's like, it's horrible. And so no, when that was a, a the, the, responsibility, it's not our job to monitor the right. media. That's not what we do as an organization. It's not what my freedom project does as an organization. Like we have organizational mission to register people to vote and expand democracy. But when there's such a clear attack on our democracy, we just felt like it was really important to, um, offer this and really put on blast. Like there's very legitimate companies funding very illegitimate journalism. Interesting that you say that, um, because a lot of the groups that you see listed on this um, on, on this report are usually names and faces of people that you like. For instance, if you, if you're in DSA, you you partner with a lot of folks like this. There's a lot of people who um, are out there knocking on doors. A lot of the same names and faces that were, you know, knocking on doors about you know Amendment Two or Amendment Four two years ago, three years ago, and more I think than the typical like liberal consultant or media strategist, these are groups that are really connected to people, like actual living people. And I wonder from your perspective, if you see 
anything contrary to this to, to, to the disinformation that's out there pierce the membrane because there are so many examples of it i remember watching on january 6th and thinking like wow there's no way that the, that that the right is going to be able to justify what's happening on my tv screen right now sure enough they did and i i think of other things more recently here locally like the 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 senate district 37 election and frank artillas matt gates up up north and joel greenberg and all these things i'm wondering if any of that stuff with the people that you meet, the end product of this dif- disinformation campaign, these various campaigns, like, does it pierce the membrane? Are they aware of it or is it blocked out? Uh, and like, let's let's also like name what we're talking about. We're talking about our, our elders in a lot of cases in our community, because like demographically, that is who is consuming a lot of this stuff. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, their audience tends to be, you know, Latinos over 35. Um and a a high concentration of our elders um and i think that the one of the big things is people it's like they hear it over and over again it creates this kind of echo chamber um, where you hear it on the radio and then you see it on your phone in a whatsapp message and then you hear the same thing from your neighbor and then all of a sudden you're like oh wow did you hear in pennsylvania all these people were voting that um you know, all these phantom voters that um, more more people voting than people live in the state. Um, yeah. So these, you know, these things really take hold in people's minds. And to them, that happened. Um, and so the kind of work that we have to do to present an alternative, like, actually, it was thrown out of, like, all of these courts. And, um, and I, I think it really does raise the question, like not just how do we monitor and how do we expose where there's um, lies or disinformation spreading, but what does it look like to actually create um, our own content, um, our own content in nuestro idioma, you know, in ways that are culturally resonant and authentic. I think there's a real, that's a real question for um, our ecosystem where everyone who believes in um advancing progressive values in a kind of country where all of us belong and where we advance racial equity and um, democracy and the things that, you know, we believe in. And I don't know, I've, I've, I have been seeing a lot of promising um, trends, like more and more people starting podcasts, people creating platforms, people starting YouTube channels. Um, so, you know, I think there we are seeing the emergence of um, people kind of realizing that and taking it on. Um, hopefully the ones that have existed for a while will get, you know, more support. Um, but, you know, monitoring is only, monitoring and exposing is only kind of one part of the solution. Like we, we actually have to build. Um, we can't right. just, you know, tear something down or critique something. And so I think that's a lot of people are also thinking about like, so what are we building? How are we building infrastructure that can compete? For people's hearts and minds yeah it strikes me that whenever this um issue does find its way to some kind of coverage or if there's an issue like we had mentioned at the top with the, the miami herald and lider which was the uh i guess the, the promoter of the content that that and found its way into el nuevo herald mm-hmm. um or that was put in el nuevo herald it didn't just magically happen right uh so uh, when we talk about those um those specific like uh controversies usually it ends up being like um legacy media and very often the left 
or maybe a more liberal position or progressive position is, is locked out of a lot of uh, lib, um, legacy media when you're talking about AM, even FM radio stations. Uh, I, I, th- I think it's great that there's people that are starting Spanish language podcasts and shows and YouTubes and stuff and YouTube and things like that. I'm just wondering, I think that there's like a, co- a component of on the ground amplification that folks like us have to do to show that because it might not be the immediately obvious, oh, let me turn on the AM dial and I know that I'm going to have the same five or six voices that are comfortable to me that I, and I know how to access them. It might need to be like, oh, hey, have you seen this video? Look at this video. Um, and you, the, the paper outlines a bunch of uh, things that can be done, next mm-hmm. steps, stuff like that. What, what do you think about how you how you penetrate there? Like uh, you kind of alluded to it before, but I know I've been personally in front of like my uh, you know my Spanish speaking relatives putting information and media in front of them mm-hmm. and sending them stuff and saying, hey, check this out. Remember the thing we were talking about. Um, I think that that's been useful. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. No, I think that that is. I mean, I'm an organizer. I've been organizing for 20 years, so. Um... I agree with you 100%. Um, I think we have to call on media to um, to be held accountable, to be explicit with their sources, to um, diversify their sources. We, we should be calling on um, them to diversify political voices and opinions, and especially to diversify Latino voices, um, where we see you know, there's a need to integrate newer Latinx voices into their program and open up space for more Afro-Latino voices. Like, I think all of that um, we should all be pushing on. But I, I believe in the end of the day, there's there's no replacement for organizing, um, yeah. for the conversations that we can have with our family, with our neighbors, with people in our communities. Um our organizer in um, one of our organizers in Miami, Dade, Gina, is like leading the charge on uh, Promotoras de la Verdad program. Um, we're really like equipping some of our member leaders to have create content and have content that they can spread um, on their social media to their WhatsApp groups. Um, you know, really making sure people are trained in disinformation and how to spot it. Um, to call it out when they see it, but also to um, promote, you know, like let's let's not share this hate-filled, fear-based content. Like, what does it look like for us actually to share content that is about like our vision and the kind of future that we want for for our children, for for their children, for our communities? Um, so, you know, I think that's just one initiative, and it's kind of built on the. Latino promotora model, which comes out of like health education and how how did you get health information to penetrate in um, in rural communities and in communities with less access to education and information. Um, but we're using that um, that model to spread and promote the the truth and um, and our our intersectional and progressive wor- you know worldview. But I don't know. I think that there's I don't think anyone really holds the the solution or the silver bullet, um, but I'm hoping that we'll see a lot of experimentation and organizing um, that needs to happen now. Like, it can't wait till the 2022 election is like four or five months away. Like, that's part of the problem is that the right's been building this massive infrastructure with Libre and with all of their um, Republican Party apparatus. Like, they're 
they're contesting for people's hearts and minds every day. Um, and I think there's a real question around like, what's the infrastructure that we're building? Um, and how do we how do we get out there and talk to people on the doors, on the phones, over text? Um, that's really at the end of the day, like what we need to do. Um, and and we're advancing and we're gaining. I mean, we have like the first uh, progressive mayor in Miami Dade County. Um, yeah. You know? Former former guest of the show, Daniela Levine Cava. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> we're, we're gaining some ground. Um, I think we're closer than we actually think. Um, I think that the Republicans are actually like hanging on by their fingernails. Um, but, you know, then we have to rest with the the soul of the Democratic Party and how do we actually get people who are going to champion our people and not corporate interests um, into elected office. Yeah, I mean, it must stick like for me, it does. It must sort of stick in your in your heart a little bit that the narrative to come out of 2020 is that Democrats just got destroyed in Miami and just crushed, just, just demolished, right? Up and down. Uh, at the end of the day, the Democratic uh, nominee for the White House still won by about 10 points, and by, like a, a vastly larger uh, spread than, than nationally or than in the state or any of the other sort of swing states. And it, it, it seems like there's a, you're you're kind of talking around the edges of it, and I think that you're you're dead on about the the misperceptions, like the ideas that oh, this is like a lockdown Republican GOP stronghold, and you know it's it's Miami, you know you can't talk about socialism, you can't talk about anything liberal because people are going to call it socialism, and I think that a lot of people get scared off of their core messaging instead of painting that that wonderful picture that that we want to paint about what the future can look like we have to modulate oh no don't say that you might offend people scare people off that might remind people of you know argentina in the 80s it might remind people of brazil in the 60s or something like that uh cuba in the 50s and and i i think that sometimes the left can be its own worst enemy in miami-dade and it gives room or soil for this kind of stuff to grow um, I don't know. Have, have have you gotten that that uh, that feeling at all or no? Mm -hmm. So I think um, I, one, you're absolutely like I think when we talk about the, what happened in Florida in 2020, you have to acknowledge that um, the president's campaign and his campaign manager has said this publicly on different radio programs. Like they had a strategic course that did not go through Florida. Like they yeah. chose a different path to the White House. And that meant they used they used Florida essentially as a distraction. They they invested in Florida to keep the Trump campaign focused here so they could sweep Mo the other states. Most expensive media market of amongst the swing states. Yeah. Right. They they used Florida in it, but you know that for us, those of us who live here, um, who are invested in like advancing um a different like, what the hell like <laughs> consequences right we lost yeah. our champions um right. senator jose javier rodriguez we you know debbie Morcasel powell we, we we lost some champions and that hurts you know um and um i think we are um 
you know, and, and, and there's like a problem around the right investing early and often and steadily in building infrastructure. Um, and on the Democrat side, um, you see all of that money pouring in really late, like in the last yeah. six weeks after people have already voted by mail. Um, and then, you know, I think this other question on your question of messaging, you know, I think that there's a lot of debate um, and there and there should be. Um, I think that there is problems when um, you have something like Amendment 2, which is wildly popular to raise the minimum wage and Democrats don't campaign on it when that really should be core to the Democratic Party's platform. Um, I do think we have a, you know, there's a history in Florida where um, the Democratic Party thinks that the path to victory is running a moderate or running a former Republican or running, you know, um, yeah, when, you know, the reality is when Andrew Gillum won for governor, he got closer than any other contender has gotten um, in in the, the last 15 years. So and and he ran on a pretty bold, unapologetic um, intersectional agenda. So I think that that raises some real questions for for us on like what kinds of not just the messaging, what kind of candidates do we need and what kind of messaging um, should go along with it. Um, and we have to be sensitive to people's lived experiences. You know, it's like it's it's easy for um, people in a disconnected part of the country um, to, you know, to talk about certain things because they don't have a large Cuban refugee population or a large Venezuelan refugee. Pop, you know, so I think we do have a task of um, how do we how do we talk about um the policies that we want and the needs of our communities without really like triggering um, people's trauma. Um, I think it's a, we ha- I think we have to be pretty honest about that and, and engage in it and, and not be scared to, to have that conversation. The idea of like this, uh, you know, a lot of this political, a lot of the valence through which a lo- these political conversations are had triggering people's traumas is a really fascinating one, honestly. I hadn't really thought of that, but it connects to like one of my own personal disappointments, which is I'm going to try to find, I didn't write this down beforehand. So I'm going to try to find a way to say it uh, just sort of extemporaneously. But I think about like my family and I think about, you know, my family's family, my wife's family and, and all the people that I know here in Miami. And I compare them to, you know, somebody as somebody who grew up in New York and somebody who's lived here in Miami the last 15 years, I think of the typical sort of like cosseted, like closed off American internal experience of like rarely leaving the country, not seeing a whole lot of the world, kind of having you know what the what the two what the television tells me is my perception of what the what the world is. And then like I think of my family and the people who you were just describing and all their experience, their rich experience from across the world and the way that they've had to struggle and fight and the things that they faced and faced down. And it like it really I guess one of the unspoken things that I couldn't really put my finger on when I was reading this report was like how disappointed I am that I can see how a wide swath of Americans that I grew up with and grew up around with their, like I said before, their cosseted experience, like how they would fall for some of this stuff. But I guess I just had a higher standard, which was probably unrealistic and not fair, but I had a higher standard. I thought that you know, this Spanish speaking population, these people that I, you know, that we live, that live right here on Bird Road with all of us in, in this county, that would be a little bit more practiced at seeing through bullshit. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was wrong. I don't know. Did you get any kind of vibes like that mm-hmm. in reporting this out and doing this work or no? Like, what, mm-hmm. what do you think? 
Well, I think what happened in 2020 is really painful, right? So for those of us, I heard, we heard a lot of, um, after the election, like people who are undocumented um, or dreamers who saw their families vote for Trump, you know, and everyone knows where Trump stood on immigration policy, you know? So I think there was a big feel, a lot of feelings of betrayal and anger and hurt. Like how could um, people in the Latino community like do that? How could they? Yeah. But I think we have how to- could they not, How could they not recognize it? Because they've they did seen recognize it, it, but they chose to vote yeah. for him anyway, you know? But I, you know, we were, I don't know, we were in a, in a pandemic where, um, you know, many of us, like people were losing, I think we can't remember the, con we can't forget the context of COVID. Like yeah. people are losing their jobs. I don't, I don't know about you, but I had a lot of family that works in the rent restaurant industry that lost their jobs where, um, you know, the Democratic Party was, was running on a campaign of reopening the economy. And Joe Biden was running on a message of like, we have to take the virus seriously um, and public health. And so I can, you know, people who um, don't agree with it, but, you know, people who were really needed their jobs back and wanted the economy to reopen as quickly as possible because they were losing their small business. Like, that spoke to them. Oh, yeah, it spoke to them. So, you know, we were in a really unprecedented time um, in our nation, in our history. Um, so I don't know. I, and, and a lot of the people who voted for Trump in Miami actually aren't, have not voted in the past. We saw a lot of new voters, people who were voting for the first time, who didn't vote in 2018, who didn't vote in 2016. Um, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that their allegiance to the Republican party is necessarily like set in stone or is fixed. Like it's all the more reason why we should be out there talking to people and um, you know, people who might have been convinced that Joe Biden is a pedophile and a socialist, like <laughs> uh, we, we, we should circle back with them. And how are they feeling now? And, you know, not I think we have to be careful not to like shame people, because I don't think that that's right. You know, if somebody just voted for the first time, that's not necessarily what's going to uh, make for a productive conversation or like get them what, to where you want them to be. But like, what are the questions that we have? um for for people um who maybe voted for the first time and chose to vote for trump like what does that mean for for us as a community and um why did they do that and i think that there's a lot more listening that needs to happen um but we can't discount the impact that um spanish language radio plays in creating an environment um of Mentira, you know, of yeah. like, of lies that people have to get past or get beyond. It's, we have our work cut out for us. Last sort of question I want to ask is a couple of quick fastballs to throw at you. And I don't know if you've seen any tale or, uh, you know, if the, if, if, if the media, media monitoring that you did at the beginning of the year has had, come with any kind of tale, but in the months since then, there's been two items that I can only imagine are probably burning up the, the, the AM dial. And one of them would be uh, the ascendance of the concept of critical race theory, which is, you know, eating up and consuming um, all discourse, let alone Republican and conservative discourse. And then also the vaccination um, conversation, too. And what makes me bring up that is how Miami-Dade, it seems like for a few weeks at least, has been right hovering at that 50, 52% mark of vaccinations. 
that's something with like some very real world consequences mm-hmm. um as opposed to critical race theory which in my opinion uh, unless you create co- the consequences that's not something that's going to bear out um as something that affects people's everyday life yeah. uh all all that discourse coming from mostly from Tallahassee I'm wondering if you've seen any uh allusions or or to to, to those two issues or if you've caught wind of any um uh disinformation that's um, been occurring in Spanish language media around those two. Yeah. So um, we did capture a lot, some of the COVID um, blaming China for coronavirus. Some of that was captured in the report. We didn't focus there, but a lot of Spanish language radio disinformation has been around um, COVID. We're, we're actually um, going back out on the doors, talking to people uh, again, to ask questions, to ask people like, have you gotten vaccinated? Um, why or why not, you know, Um, so that we can really understand, like, what is the hesitancy? Is it because you're working three jobs and like you just haven't fitted into your schedule? Or is it because you're deeply distrustful of big pharma and you're worried about how it's going to impact your body? Like, what what is it? And I I think we have to understand first, like the why, um, before we come up with solutions to um, you know, really get those vaccination rates up. Um, and then, um, and Latino vaccination rates are some of the lowest in the country, as you know, and you were kind of referring right. to. Um, and then, you know, I think on critical race theory, it's like, this is a trend and you know, it's anything that the right, they don't want to be held accountable. So anytime we hold them accountable on anything, they call it cancel culture. They don't want the truth, and so they call anything that they don't want to listen to fake news. And then they don't want to talk about, they don't want to be in uncomfortable conversations about race and racism in this country. Um, and so they're, they don't want there to be education about race in our schools. So um, they're, you know, they're on the tack on critical race theory and um, you know, any discussions in our schools about the history of our country. Um, so you know, I think we, uh, <laughs> these are the, the wars and the battles that they're picking and, um, and we have to contest for um, people's hearts and minds and get out there and talk to folks. And, and I think it's not just like, how do we shove our opinion around somebody's throats? But I think that for any organizer, the best tool you have is a good question. Um, so how do we, you know, arm ourselves with some of the best questions and listen to what people are telling us um, and then come up with strategies and, and solutions on how we're going to move people along? Because um, we can't just write off everyone who's not with us, like yeah. as an organization that works a lot on elections, like in for our electoral system, for to, to get somebody elected to office, it has to be 50 plus one. So you have to forge the coalition that you need to win. Um, we can't just kind of sit over here as some aggrieved small group. Like we really, it, it's really on us to figure out what are the strategies to reach more people and create the bigger we. And if you're out there and you want to do a media monitoring project of your own and you speak Creole, holy cow, you should hear what's going on on AM radio and Creole. According to my friends who, who speak Creole uh, down here in Miami, that's another whole that's a other another whole episode unto its own. Listen, um, they pay people <laughs> to get on those programs on Haitian Creole. It's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a racket. Um, <laughs> that's really all I can describe it as. Um, so our guest today 
was Andrea Mercado. You can follow her at Dream Mercado on Twitter. And you can also follow Florida Rising at FL Rising. You can read the report that we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes. No mas disinfo.com. No mas disinfo.com. Uh, online. Andrea Mercado, thank you for coming to Bird Road. Thanks for having me.